You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good to be with you today. I want to welcome those of you that are worshiping on our YouTube channel. That's a great place to experience service today, as well as those of you that are streaming live on Facebook and others who are connecting through our website. I just want you to know I love you, City Tribe, and I thank God for you. You know, as the events of recent days have unfolded, we determined that God wanted us to act with prudence. There's a proverb in the Old Testament of the Bible that teaches us that we have to live with prudence or we suffer the consequences. And so we've wanted to be prudent to protect your lives. I was praying about this, and God led me to a passage in the Old Testament where King David was dealing with a plague. And in that plague, I saw David's heart for the people. You could tell as a shepherd of the people, he loved his people. And so I love you. I was thinking about Debs McCrary, who was streaming on one of our earlier services today. And I thought about Debs standing in the lobby like she does on most Sundays. And I thought to myself, if someone comes in and shakes Debs' hands or breathes on her and gives her this virus, how would I feel? I wouldn't feel very good. And I wouldn't feel very good if any of you were exposed to this virus because you came to a church service. So we've determined to stream online to be prudent. But at the same time, while we're being prudent, we're also going to be peaceful and prayerful. Like Mark said earlier, uh, we don't have to live in a spirit of fear, but we have the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament, Paul said that we don't have to be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God with thankfulness in your hearts. And so we can be thankful. That's one of the ways that God brings peace in our lives. So I'm thankful that we have the technology with which to have our church services today online. I'm thankful that we have a church of people who are adaptive and willing to change and willing to engage with God in a different way in our worship services today. I'm thankful that we have food at home. I'm thankful that HEB still has food on the shelves. They may not have toilet paper, but I'm thankful for the food that's there. I'm thankful for the many different good things that God has provided for us. I'm thankful that this virus has not swept through our city like it has in many cities. So we've got a lot to be thankful for, do we not? Um, But here's one of the things I want you to know, is that it will be remembered how we respond in this pandemic, how the church responds and how you personally respond. Your family members and your friends, they will remember how you Uh, acted during this time. They will remember if you were one of those people that hoarded toilet paper, if you were one of those people that shared with your neighbor and loved. You know, many of us are familiar with the Nobel Peace Prize, are we not? It is a prize given out to someone who does something extraordinary to preserve life and to do good 
two other human beings. But a lot of people don't know the backstory of how that prize came to being. Uh, in fact, Alfred Nobel was a Swedish chemist, and he created uh, all of these explosives, and he made a fortune in selling those explosives to government so that they could make bombs and weapons of mass destruction. Well, one day, through uh, a strange set of events, Nobel's brother died, and the local newspaper in his town thought that it was Alfred Nobel that had died, and they posted an obituary uh, for Alfred Nobel in the newspaper that day. And so it was a strange scenario where this man who was still alive got to read his own obituary as other people would perceive him. And in the newspaper, the article uh, talked about how Nobel created bombs and made a fortune off of death and destruction. And it shook him, and he decided to change the trajectory of his life. So what he did was he determined to put his fortune to work to do good and to preserve life. And that's why today we have the Nobel Prizes in the sciences and uh, other uh, disciplines. And I, wanna, I want you to think about your own life right now. How will people remember you? You know, as a pastor, I oftentimes have to be involved in funeral services. And sometimes I'll go to a funeral service and I'll conduct the ceremony where the person wasn't really very nice. And everybody knows that the person being buried there was a scoundrel. But I have to get up there and basically lie and make it sound like the guy was pretty good or to get up there and uh, just focus on the good. Um, but we all know that the person being buried was a scoundrel. But sometimes I get to do funerals of really great people that uh, are celebratory. They lived a great life. One of those was a woman who came to our church named Michelle Comley. She was one of my favorite funeral services. And the reason is because uh, Michelle, she came to our church. She was very pretty typical of someone who would come to our church. She was from a very unchurched background. She came to faith in Christ at our church. And then when she was in her 40s, she found out she had cancer. And it was incurable. And they gave her a brief time to live. And during that time she decided she was going to make the most of her life. And I'll never forget at her funeral ceremony, to begin the funeral, there was a video of Michelle skydiving, and it was put to music. And it was put to that song by Tim McGraw, Live Like You're Dying. And that's the one idea I want to submit to you in the midst of this pandemic, is that we are to live like we're dying. I want you to live like you're dying. Now, chances are not a lot of us are going to die of coronavirus. But either way, at some point in our lives, we're going to die. 100% of people are going to die. But what counts is what you do before you die. Now, if you go back to the Bible, you'll see there's a passage there that's kind of like the Nobel Prize passage. It's a passage that uh, talks about the heroes of the faith. And one of the Bible characters that's mentioned in the heroes of the faith is Noah. Noah was a man who lived like he was dying. He preserved life. So let me show you um, the first way in which Noah lived like he was dying is that he built something 
that saves lives. He built something that saves lives. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. So his entire household was saved because Noah obeyed God and God's warnings. And we want to be a church during these days that preserves lives, that um, protects people's lives. That's why, as I was texting with a friend of mine last night who is the CEO of a hospital here in the downtown area, I expressed to him that we would be willing to volunteer at the hospital should the virus spread and create a difficult situation over at his hospital, and he deeply appreciated that. In addition, we've got to be willing to serve those who are vulnerable during these days, serve those who are food insecure during these days. But one of the things you'll notice about the Noah story is that Noah was called upon for a huge task. In fact, uh, if you look at the measurements of the ark in the Noah story, it was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Um, and God told Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. I want you to put a pair of all the, each different kind of animal onto this boat, and then I'm going to flood the world. And I imagine Noah's thinking to himself, that's a pretty big deal. I've never seen a flood before. I've never seen it rain before. How am I going to corral all those animals? How am I going to build a boat that is that size, that's like 450 feet long? It was a God-sized task. And during these days, I believe what God is calling some of you to is a God-sized task in being able to serve humanity and preserve life But how is it that Noah was able to do something that was God-sized? Let me show you a few ideas about how he was able to do that. One is that Noah was willing to be embarrassed. And anybody who ever does anything great has to be willing to be embarrassed. Can you imagine people walking through Noah's neighborhood? And they're like, Noah, what's that big thing in your yard? What are you building there? What is that? And Noah had to explain to people, I'm building an ark, and it's going to flood, and God has told me to build this ark. He was willing to be embarrassed. And here's what I want to ask you, is it, are you willing to share with people during these days why you're doing good humanitarian works? Not just that you're being a good person, but why you're doing it. Connect your good works to your relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel? Do your friends at work or school even know that you're a follower of Jesus? And and Paul really challenges us on this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And we have to be a people who tell why we're doing our good works and not just doing the good work. But also, Noah did his work with excellence. As you look at Hebrews, you'll see in chapter 11, verse 7 there, it says, by faith, Noah being warned of God about the things not yet seen, it says there, in reverence, prepared the ark. Now, that word for reverence actually means pious care and concern. Reverence is a pious care 
and concern. You know, naval engineers have discovered that the dimensions of the ark are actually create one of the most stable ships known to man. That's what Noah created. And I would say, during these days of uncertainty, let's serve people with excellence and let's serve people with pious care and concern. May we be the most gentle and the most loving and the most helpful. And each of you have a part in preserving life during these days. You say, well, what can I do during these days? How can I help preserve life and help people come to eternal life here at our church? Well, a couple of things. You can be a friend to your neighbors, and you can bring a friend. So you say, well, Pastor Doug, how do I bring a friend when we can't even gather at the cameo? Well, you can invite a friend to a watch party at your house house and watch the services online. You can share this stream of the services uh, each week with your friends. Not only that, but we'll have opportunities to serve the sick if this thing spreads. In addition, we'll have opportunity to serve the food insecure and some of our other partners here in the downtown area, like CAM, Christian Assistance Ministry. We want to help them uh, supply the folks on the streets who are particularly vulnerable. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, Pastor Doug, I've got problems in my life right now, and I feel kind of weak, so how can I help other people when I feel like I need so much help myself? Well, I read a story that I think helps explain that. Uh, There was a hiker, and he was camping with a group of people in Alaska, and they were hiking on this mountain. And this particular hiker knew that a blizzard was coming in, and he realized, I need to get back to my camp. And so he started making his way back to camp. But unfortunately, the blizzard blew in before he could get back to camp, and he couldn't see two feet in front of his face. And he tried the best he could to trudge through that blizzard, to trying to find his way, but he was disoriented, and he had run out of strength. And he just sat down in the snow and resigned himself to die in that blizzard because he couldn't go any further. And just then, when he sat still, he heard this little yelping like a little dog. And so he moved towards the sound of the little dog. And what he found was this little puppy that had also gotten lost. And so the man started working, rubbing the fur of this little puppy holding the little puppy, breathing on it, you know, his breath to keep it alive. He worked on that little dog all night. And when rescue workers came the next morning, they found both the man and the little dog alive. And they explained to the man, the reason that you survived the night was because you were helping that dog survive. And what I would suggest to you today is the way that you will find deeper life in Christ is when you serve others and help preserve life during these difficult times. So, to be a person of destiny, Noah also was a man who walked with God when no one else did. People were not into God during Noah's day. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And then if you look at Hebrews 7, uh, verse 7 in chapter 11 there of Hebrews, 
It says, Noah's belief in God was in direct contrast to the sin and disbelief of the rest of the world. And you know, a lot of people talk today about how people are not into God and how some younger generations are leaving the church in the droves. And they'll point to all these studies how people are more hostile towards Christianity than they've been in a long time. But even though that may be true to an extent, it was not nearly as bad as things were in Noah's day. People tend to think, well, back in the Bible days, everybody was into God, and today some people are not. But actually, the opposite is true. Look at the condition of people in Noah's day. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, For the Lord saw how bad people on earth were, and that everything they thought and planned was evil. Can you imagine living in a world like that? If you think that it's bad today and people are hostile towards God today, it was worse in Noah's day. Everyone's motivation towards you was to harm you. Everyone's motivation towards you was to beat you up, bully you, or to steal from you. Everyone's motivation was bad. Everyone who went to H-E-B would take more than 15 items in their cart in the checkout, in the express checkout. You know, it was an evil time in that day. But God was patient with people for 120 years. His grace reigned. He was patient with the people. But look at what Matthew says when he weighs in on the Noah story in Matthew 24, 37. It says, when the Son of Man appears... Things will be just as they were when Noah lived. People will be eating, drinking, getting married right up to the day um, until the day the flood came and swept them away. And that is how it will be when the Son of Man appears. See, someday Christ will return and people on the earth will be ill-prepared for it. And that leads me to the third idea about how Noah was such a great person of destiny who lived like he was dying Noah was prepared. Noah spent a huge portion of his life building the ark, and then the day came for him to use it. Look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 15. Noah took a male and a female of every living creature with him, just as God had told him to do. And when they were all in the boat, look at this last part. God closed the door. The window of opportunity was over. God closed the door. You know, last week I was speaking to teenagers, and I was explaining to them, the middle school students, how a lot of people will put off God and say, I'm going to serve God later in my life. I'll believe in and follow God later in my life. So middle schoolers will say, you know... uh, I'm too embarrassed to follow God right now. I'm too embarrassed to look like a religious nut right now. So I'll wait until I'm in high school. And then when kids get in high school, they think to themselves, no, you know, I'm having fun partying, doing my thing in high school. I'll wait until I'm like in my 20s or 30s or something. But then when you get in your 20s and 30s, you're thinking, man, I want to meet my spouse and I want to establish my career and I want to get married and have those 2.5 kids and a dog and a house in the suburbs. And you think, I'll put off God 
until I'm in my 30s and 40s, in my 40s or 50s. And then when you get into the 40s and 50s, you don't care about doing a whole lot for God. You just want to make sure you have a good internet connection and health care, you know? And you think, I'll serve God when I'm really old, like retirement age, you know? And then what a lot of people do in retirement is they just play golf and go to the beach and collect seashells. Do you want to stand before Almighty God with a good golf score and a collection of seashells? Or would you rather stand before God having served humanity and have a line of people that you had helped come to faith in Jesus and help grow in him and help serve them with food and other necessities of this life? Because someday God will shut the door of opportunity Those of you in retirement, you should be able to play golf and go to the beach. There's nothing wrong with that. But while you're doing it, serve the people that you golf with and serve the people that you meet at the beach. But make sure in the midst of enjoying your life and eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, that you serve humanity to make an impact in this life. I remember the night after I gave one of my first little sermons as a young guy. I was, I think I was uh, 19 years old. And an older gentleman in our church approached me and he gave me a piece of paper. And I've never forgotten what was on that piece of paper. Harry said to me, God saves an old man's soul, but he saves a young man's life. And you know what he meant by that. He meant that If you're older, you don't have those years from your youth back. You you can't go back in time and get those years back. But if you're younger, you can serve God for the rest of your life. I think that's why Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near. Well, you will say, I have no delight in them. And so while you're young and have the energy to do so, serve God up until the time that you're called to go home in heaven. And as I look at the camera that represents you today, I don't just see a group of consumers and people that just want to play the rest of their lives away, but I see an army for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of love, not an army to bring violence, but an army of people to bring love and help and service and hope to other people because you know that people all around you are freaking out. But may you be the people who bring them peace. May you be the people who bring them courage and faith during these strange times. See, well, remember I told you about my friend Michelle's funeral service and how she had requested that that Tim McGraw song be sung. And I went and read the backstory on that Tim McGraw song, Live Like You're Dying. And I found out that it was inspired by Tim McGraw's father, Tug McGraw, who was hospitalized with a brain tumor. They found out it was cancer. They gave him three weeks to live. But he actually survived nine months. And in that time, he indeed lived like he was dying. And he lived out the lyrics of this song. I'll read the lyrics to you. He said, 
I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. I went three times that year I lost my dad. Well, I finally read the good book, and I took a good hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And then I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, and I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. And that's the way we want to live, is we want to do the things that we've put off, give the forgiveness that we'd been denying, become better spouses, love and serve people. And you know what I can't help but think? Is that God had someone tune into this service today online and you don't have the ultimate peace because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, perhaps the reason you tuned in is so that you could pray and begin a relationship with God so that you would know that when that final day comes, it may not come during this pandemic. A lot of people probably will get sick and then get well, but that day will come when God shuts the door and you want to be prepared. So let's bow for prayer as we help some prepare for the ultimate peace. If you'd like to begin a relationship with Christ right now in this moment, I want you to just say this prayer with me. The words that you say aren't as important as the attitude of your heart, but just pray something like this. God, right now, the best I know how, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. He was my substitute. God, welcome into my life. God, I know I've sinned, but I know that Jesus took my sin upon himself. Thank you for coming into my life. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps those of us that know Christ want to ramp up and recommit our lives during these days to be remembered well, that we would encourage small business, that we would encourage our neighbors, that we would care for the vulnerable, and that ultimately we would live like we're dying. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives, God. We thank you that you're in complete control. We thank you that we have a church family that loves us and that we love. You're so over-the-top good to us, and we can't thank you enough. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.